What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? People, welcome to another episode of the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker from codysanchez.com, and that's Cody with an I-E, C-O-D-I-E, and on Instagram at the same name. And my gig here is pretty fantastic. I get to break down all of the interesting stories about humans, just like you and me, that have been able to do some pretty incredible things with their lives. And the goal is to show that if they can do it, if I can do it, if the dude on the podcast today can do it, so can you. So let's say, like many people out there, you want to be a millionaire. So you like get on your computer and you start typing in your Google search. And if you Google search, how can I ask a millionaire a question, this guy's face pops up. And that's Sean Thomas of the handle at Ask a Millionaire or at Ask Sean Thomas. And I bet you can guess what he's achieved and how many zeros come with it. Uh, but to be totally frank, the millionaire status from him wasn't as interesting to me, although I know it does put him in the global 1%. What I thought was more interesting is that he is now building a business on how to teach others to do what he has done, which is he has sold a business for $20 million and he's created this business, askamillionaire.com, with a huge following, and he teaches other humans how to do the same thing. And you guys are eating it up. You know, in fact, he's amassed not thousands of followers, but hundreds of thousands of followers, almost a million, because humans want to know how to achieve that elusive seven-figure dream. But the best part about Sean is he has one of my favorite characteristics. Want to know what it is? Sean is not that nice. (laughs) Sorry, Sean. But don't worry, I'm not that nice either. And, And what I mean by that is that Sean is the type of guy that breaks down exactly what you have to do to achieve a high level of financial success and personal success. He doesn't sugarcoat it, and he might just actually help you get there as opposed to most coaches, which will help you wave a magical wand and visualize it and believe in yourself and wiggle your fingers to make it happen. So Sean and I dive in where most people mess up. We dive into how you can achieve financial success 10 times as fast. We dive into the future of building social media followings. And he even goes into my favorite realm of what happens when you achieve it all. And what happens when you still might have that little hole inside of you or that little voice that says you haven't totally found nirvana. So his story's pretty fascinating from playing for the circus to signing a record deal to going 100K in debt. He pretty much epitomizes what it means to climb and share not just your highlight reel, but to be relatable and share your real story. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sean Thomas as much as I did. I kind of guarantee you're going to have a few takeaways. One thing that I kind of wanted to, to kick off with is I remember when you and I first met, and, and we met 
you know, on the airwaves, which is increasingly a way that I'm finding interesting humans all around the world and getting able to connect with people that certainly aren't, let's say, a cubicle over, right? Um, right. And, so, and then I did some digging into your website at askamillionaire.com and seanthomas.com, which is your personal website. And I was really impressed with a couple of things. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. One being this community and following you've created with desperate humans all over the world. Um, so I want to talk about how you build that. Then I want to talk about the business of blogging or platform building or whatever you want to call this interaction that you're able to have and communication that doesn't feel linear. It feels two-way. Uh, and then I want to talk about videos, something that you and I have been chatting about. So how to make them, what to do with them, where to post them, all of that jazz. But before we get into too much of this, um, your story is such an interesting one. So I would love to start with, for those of you listening who don't know Sean, the story of, of where you came from and how you found your way to ask a millionaire. Would you mind kind of sharing with them that part of your why? Sure. How much time do you want me to take on that one? Because man, have I had a crazy journey. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do the, let's do the, the three-minute version. Okay, the three-minute version is this. So I grew up as an army brat. So we moved around four times before the age of seven, and we ended up in cold, the cold tundra of Alaska. My dad had the choice between Alaska or Hawaii, and of course he chose Alaska, which I would have chose the beach, but that's just, you know, it's another story. In high school, I got into choir for an easy A, and there were a lot of cute girls in there, and me and my, my guy friends saw this line with some really you know, cute girls and said, we need to get in that line and take that class. Well, it turned out to be choir, and I ended up really enjoying singing. I didn't really realize I, you know, had some sort of, you know, talent in my voice, but I really grew to enjoy it. And over the last, over the next couple of years in high school, I was taking like three different choir classes each semester. During that time, showing my age, MTV actually came out. And when MTV came out, I immediately was one of those people that was drawn to it and said, you know, someday I want to get on MTV. I want to be a rock star. I want to travel the country and I want to be a singer and get on MTV. So at 18 years old, I decided to leave Alaska and move down to, uh, Southern, Southern California, because I knew if you wanted to get into the music business, you need to be out there in Hollywood and Los Angeles and what have you. So I moved down there and I took odd jobs for three years, you know, always had a couple, couple jobs just to kind of pay the bills. And I was performing on the side, learning how to sing, learning how to audition, things like that. And then I got my big break when I was 21. So three years after I moved to California, I got my big break and got a, rec a recording contract on Warner Brother Records. And and I traveled the country in a boy band with Ringling Brothers and Barman Billy Circus. Um, and so we got to play all of the major arenas across the entire United States, the, the, the Omni in Atlanta, Madison Square Garden for six and a half weeks, you know, the LA Spectrum. I mean, you name it, we played every major arena. And this is, you know, 21, 22 years old. So it was quite, you know, like a ride, you know, it was, it was pretty crazy. And I'll save all the, all the crazy stories. But so during that time, you know, I didn't really have a mentor, didn't really have, you know, anybody kind of watching my back as a 20, young 22-year-old impressionable young man, but I just had a great time. And after, and I wasn't thinking about the long term at that time, 
I just thought, hey, this is going to last forever. Well, after our first year, the owner of the circus, Kenneth Feld, and, and our other two managers came to us and said, hey, you know, this has been a great year. You guys have done a great job. But unfortunately, it's not drawing the audience that we were hoping it would bring to the circus. How are you guys feeling? What do you guys want to do? Well, at that time, we're all three young, naive, immature kids. There's another guy that was 19, another guy that was 23. And we all said, yeah, you know, we're not really getting along either, you know, so uh, why don't we just quit? Why don't we just stop? And if that's the option for us to not do the second year, we'll all just kind of go on our merry way. And they said, hey, well, absolutely no problem. Hope you guys have a great life. And it was like done, like the whole carpet just pulled out from underneath us. So at that time, you know, I was like, okay, I accomplished the one goal that I thought would probably take me a long time to get, which to get a record deal, get on MTV, which we did get on MTV. Um, but I always knew like in the, in the background of my voice that I wanted to be my own boss always. I was always that kind of kid that had a problem with authority. And I always thought that I could do everything better than everybody else. And I needed to be the boss, real immature, real pompous, you know, what have you, which a lot of us business owners are, let's be honest. And so at that time, I had no college degree. I had pretty much no skill set, except I was a natural born salesman, had a gift for gab. And I had just come off this big high of my life. And I was, confidence was at an all-time all high. So for the next, uh, at that, now I'm about 22 years old. So from the time I was 22 to 29, I was basically in my lost years. I was broke. I tried every get-rich-quick scheme you could. This was before the internet, luckily, or I probably would have been scammed out of everything. So I was trying just classified ad business opportunities, real estate, you know, telemarketing, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, and I also sold insurance to kind of pay the bills as well. So at 29 years old, I finally said, you know what, this isn't working. And I got involved with a guy who was starting a company and I put in some sweat equity. I didn't have any capital to put in. So I put in some sweat equity and it was a computer sales and service company selling to the hotel industry. And so I started uh, learning about the hotel industry, about this new thing called the internet coming out. Um, and we, we had this company for about a year and a half to two years and it failed. But during that time, I became kind of an expert in computers, kind of just self-taught and also in the hotel industry. So I took that knowledge and I started my own company, selling computers and, and, and servicing them to the hotel industry. And long story short, over 11 years, I took the company um, from my dining room to uh, $20 million in annual sales uh, and 100 employees and went through a couple mergers, a couple acquisitions, me 500, you know, some fun little awards and sold the company in December of 2013. And at that time, it was my first kind of financial windfall, if you will. And it, it, it was kind of weird to get a check like that. So I had to, I took some time off. I actually took four years off from working from the time I retired as CEO in November of 2011 till pretty much March of 2015, I didn't work. I just kind of learned how to, how to uh, invest, how to protect my money, how to figure out what to do with it when I got it, all that good stuff. And I just took some time off to decompress because you know, 11 years in a business is a long time of giving up giving up a lot of personal stuff to build your business. So in March, to answer your question now about how Ask a Millionaire came around in 2015, March of 2015, uh, I was renting a little beach place out in Manhattan Beach, California, and I had got on Instagram. And I was that quintessential Instagram person that took pictures of food and wine and restaurants and selfies and all that good stuff. But I, I, for some reason, I came across these millionaire mentors accounts, you know, these motivation quote accounts, like, Hey, don't ever give up, you know, or, you know, failure is a learning opportunity and all these different things, right. That we see on, on Instagram and Facebook. And 
I started kind of looking at them and going, who are these people that are running these accounts? Because none of them would put their name. You didn't know who they are. And I was like, okay, well, I could do this. You know, I'm actually a millionaire and I could mentor. I, I, I mentor people all the time. So I started thinking about a name and I said, you know, over the years I became as, as most entrepreneurs and you probably can relate to this as well. People will always ask us, Hey, can I pick your brain? Can I take you for a cup of coffee or lunch? Because I have an idea or I have a business and I, and I want to talk to someone who's been there, done that. So I knew millionaire had kind of a great marketing kind of feel to it. So I just came up with the name Ask a Millionaire and I started an account called Ask a Millionaire on Instagram and immediately questions started flooding in. Like it was crazy. Like everybody and their mother seemed to, you know, want to ask a millionaire question. So from five o'clock in the morning when I'd wake up till, you know, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night when I go to sleep, I was on my phone like glued to it because I felt like this weird obligation to answer every single question because the account mm -hmm. name was Ask a Millionaire. Mm -hmm. And because I gave it so much attention, it grew kind of a great little loyalty and a great little following. And, you know, fast forward a year and a half later, it's got, you know, close to, well, it's got 650,000 followers on an Instagram account. And then over that time, now at this time, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about, I didn't start this as a business. This was just kind of a hobby of, uh, I considered this kind of part of my philanthropy, if you will, just giving back. I had no plan, no agenda, no motivation other than to open up my experiences and my knowledge and share that with people that might get some benefit from it. It wasn't until about a year into it that I said, maybe um, this is going to consume my life for forever and I want to start a business. What should I do? And I just kind of looked at, right, at something that was right in front of me. Ask a million. It was, it, this could be my business. I love what I'm doing. What can I do to monetize it? So I started studying, blogging, e-learning, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, all those different things. And, and so now it's turned into a business. Yeah, it's fascinating. There are a couple of things that I wanted to pull out from there that I really liked. One, um, I, I think what you said is so fascinating. I know that's when you said, you know, I was looking at all these millionaire accounts online or all these motivational accounts or business planning accounts, or now I see the phenomenon to be life coaching and, um, you know, business coaching and, and like online gurus. And what fascinates me is that people don't question things enough, right? And, and I think any information you get is only as good as the source. And um, one of the reasons that I started mine is because I think the same reason is, as you. I saw all these people giving information and thought, how can you life coach if in fact you don't have an enviable life? Um, and how in fact can you teach people to build businesses if, if you have not yet built a business? Because it's hard, you know? Um, it isn't, a, it isn't, bad or awful or anything like that, but there are difficulties and there's easier ways to do things. And then there's not so easier ways to do things. Um, so I love this, you know, question about validation of the human you're listening to. Um, and I think it's really important for people to question everything, including us, right? Like, why are we interesting and skilled to listen to? So I really liked that. The second thing that you talked about is this, um, idea of feeling like you want to give back after you've built a business and you want to help others build it, but you have a lot of humans asking you for, for information. So talk to me about really a quick sideline before we get into my three points, but what, what do you find the most frequent question is you get at Ask a Millionaire? And then 
is it the right question? Hmm, that's a good one. There's probably a good five to 10 that I get the most. So let's see if I had to pinpoint down to one. The first one and the iteration of this question is said in many different ways. It's asked in many different type of ways, but the underlying question that the majority of people reach out to me is, how do I find success? Like that in, in lots of different ways. They might say, how do I become a millionaire? Uh, how do I get out of the debt that I'm in? How do I do this? But the underlying question that the majority of people really want to know is, how do I find success? That's probably the number one question. And fortunately and unfortunately, it's the easiest answer to give but it's the hardest thing to determine and to find in one's life. And it's, I keep it right here on my window in my office in, in, in bold letters, how do I define success? And I had to really give a lot of thoughts. Do you want my answer to what I tell them? Absolutely. So what I, what I tell them is, first off, you have to determine what your definition of success is. So I can't, I can't, and nobody can give you that definition. You'll have to determine what that is. But if you go through the exercise of trying to determine what success means to you at this moment, then that's a great exercise to go through and you'll, you'll be on your way to, to accomplishing it. And then once, once you start down that journey, you're going to realize over time, that that feeling of success that you're yearning for is going to change once you actually achieve the things that you have in your mind right now. And so that's the first exercise you need to go through. Now, my answer to that is how, and they, so they say, well, how do you determine it? You know, a lot of people like to know how you do it because maybe that gives you some relatability to what they're going through. So I answer it by saying I balance seven areas of my life and the better that I'm balancing those seven areas, the more I feel successful. And it starts with my spirituality, my family, my friends, my love, my health, my bank account, and my philanthropy. And those seven areas all require a different amount of attention throughout your life. Sometimes your family is, you know, you're, you're going great and everything's perfect. And sometimes you might have an illness and you got to spend more time focusing on your family or sometimes you might be questioning your spirituality and having an issue there and you need to go back to the basics. Sometimes your bank account isn't what it's supposed to be or what you want it to be. So you focus on that. So for me to feel successful in my life, I have to successfully balance those seven areas in a way that I feel stable and that makes me feel successful. In the beginning years, like many people that follow Ask a Millionaire, that's the name Ask a Millionaire, they're really following for financial goals. And like myself at a younger age, that area of my life took on the greatest amount of attention and priority because I just didn't have any money and I didn't grow up with money. Mm -hmm. So that was my number one focus. And once I actually made that my entire focus, I actually achieved it and I became financially independent. And then I was able to pay better attention to the other six areas in my life, especially philanthropy, because you know, when you don't have much money, it's very difficult to be in mindset and bank account of helping others. So it's, it's absolutely true. And I feel like a lot of times people don't realize that 
you know, if it's not profitable, it's really not sustainable in, in my opinion. And so I think anything that you focus on, it's okay for the short term for it to not be profitable. But long term, if you want like real synergy and leverage, having some sort of focus on financial freedom leading to all sorts of freedom is, is huge. I like that. Absolutely. And philanthropy is, even though it is a purpose of giving, it's still a business and you have to be able to fuel that engine, you know, whether it's an, uh, a 501c3 or a charity or just you as an individual giver, there still has to be a pipeline to kind of fuel that, that giving. And I think a lot of people, you know, they underestimate, you know, that resources still have to be replenished in order to, to continue the cycle. Yeah, can't pour from an empty cup, right? Exactly. Um, and with philanthropy as well, I think, you know, I've always, my history is I started off as a journalist writing stories on human trafficking uh, along the border and, and really deep, dark things um, when it came to the struggle of just surviving as humans along our southern border with Mexico. And, um, and I remember working with quite a few charities who, and the ones that seemed to stick, right, over the years, the ones that followed through time were those that made the people inside of their charity feel like they were getting a hand up, not a hand out. And the ones that then enabled the next generation to be the one pulling up the next person. So I, I kind of have a visceral reaction against the term charity, typically, because mm -hmm. I think um, every single human on this planet has a skill that they were meant to share. And so even those who don't, who are not a millionaire, let us say, have something that they can give to. And if you can create philanthropy around letting others give, as opposed to just only giving, uh, I just think it's a little bit more of a positive view on humanity. Absolutely. You know, and it, it, on, if I could, you know, add one thing to that, you know, for your listeners as a takeaway is, you know, just because you might only be able to help one person right now because your resources are limited, that doesn't make somebody that has millions and millions of dollars that can help out thousands or tens of thousands of people any better. You know, the ability to just help out somebody else is still a major benefit to the world. And I think a lot of people think that if they're not making a huge impact, that they don't, they're not making an impact at all. And it took me a long time to realize that it all just starts with, with one act of kindness and one act of goodness out there. And it's going to, you know, create that ripple, if you will. And so I'd urge everybody as early as possible in their life to start some sort of philanthropy in their life, because all they're going to do is the more success that they find in their life, especially financially, they're already going to have the foundation of knowing how it feels and they're going to want to do more. So that, I think a lot of people miss that. Yeah, wouldn't that be a better world? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Sean, let me, I do want to ask you this question. So, so you get asked questions all the time. That's the main question that you get. If you had to, to guide those listening, is that, is that the right question? How do you find success? What do you think the question is that most people should be asking? I think it's a great question. Um, it's a great first question because, I mean, ultimately, if you get somebody just thinking about finding success, then at least they've got the desire and, and desire is where it kind of starts. And so then you just want to 
you want to point them in the right direction and say, okay, so if you're looking to learn how to find a success, when I answer that question, inevitably and naturally, the next question is, well, how do I do that? And so what I tell them is, is fortunately for you in this day and age of the internet, if you just simply type in, how do I find success into Google, you're going to get a ton of resources. And the better you get at ascertaining which resources are reliable and which resources are going to help you get to where you want to be, the better, the better you're going to be in life. Because if you want to be, and a lot of people that follow me really want, you know, they want to get rich. They want to, they want to be a millionaire. They want financial success. And what I try to try to mentor them is to say, listen, if you have those aspirations, you better learn how to do your own research. You better learn how to be resourceful and you better know how to start finding your own answers because that's just the nature of the beast in building any type of business and any type of empire, if you will. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I think it's a great first question. The, the people that just come straight out and say, well, how do I become a millionaire? I just, I, I just say, well, to become a millionaire, you just have to have a net worth of a million dollars. There you go. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, so, you know, well, how do you do it? Well, you know, how do you become a millionaire? Well, there's an infinite amount of ways to become a millionaire as you and I both know, but you know, when somebody asks me a question on Instagram, all I know is it's a name of an account. Most times, mo the majority of people have private profile accounts. I don't even know who that person is. It could be literally a 12-year-old girl in India asking that question. I have no idea. So I have, to, I have to actually control my own bit of sarcasm and cynicism sometimes yeah. and, and realize that this could be somebody that follows me and intently and they're, they're breaking out of their shell to finally ask a millionaire what they would need to do to be a millionaire. So I have to be very, very sensitive to who my audience is because I really don't even know who they are. It's, it's you know, so I'm, I'm not talking to, to someone like Cody. I could That's be talking to a young child in another country that didn't grow up with the same opportunities. They don't live in the same type of society that you and I live in in the United States. I don't know who that person is. And whatever I write is going to be seen by whoever reads the comment section. And, and there are people that they pay attention. Interesting. And so it's I think, really unique. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I found most interesting about the questions that I get are, I, I wish that I could impart on more people. And I can't even, I, I can't even address what to do to become a millionaire if you are in India in, you know, in an area where you don't have internet or running water. I mean, I'm going to have to actually sit down and think about how do you apply these principles uh, wherever you are in the world. And if you are in fact somewhere where um, we, you, you didn't win the birth lottery, to be honest, which is what I think of every day. If I would have been able to accomplish all of this, if I was born in Bolivia, you know, in a mountainside village, I, I, I doubt it. Um, but, but, you know, what I, I think you, you go to where you can make the most impact and uh, with what you know. And so, you know, one of the things that I always try to impart, if, if they're listening to this, I assume you have a cell phone, you know, you have internet of some sort or Wi-Fi. And if you are in the U.S., like a majority of people that listen to me, or you have a certain 
you know, safety net. Um, I wish that more people would realize that money is absolutely important, um, but very few really wealthy individuals I've, I've found in speaking with them became really wealthy business owners and individuals by focusing on money. I, I just, I don't think that works, to be honest. I think you have to figure out what you are good at and figure out where the gap is in the market and then figure out how to fix a problem. And money will come if you do those two things correctly. You know, I tell you, that's a, that's a, a really amazing topic because my pure motivation was money. When I, when I started my company, when I went, went through all my lost years, my pure motivation was I had a lot of anger at not having what other kids my age had that had the new shoes, the new bicycle, the new cars, and my parents couldn't afford. And I was that quintessential kid that built up a lot of anger and jealousy. And that fueled my desire and my passion to prove everybody wrong and prove that I could you know, get to where I wanted. And I tell you, I find, a, I find a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners, because, you know, I built a company $20 million that in, in the global spectrum of business, that's a decent sized company, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that wealthy if you would. Mm -hmm. And I think a, and a lot of my peers, no matter how much we talk the lingo it, in our business meetings at networking meetings and so forth, and it's about serving and all that type of stuff, entrepreneurs in general are known to be the biggest egomaniacs and the biggest <laughs> self-serving people that you'll ever meet in your life. It's, I mean, even Steve Jobs was, was you know, that's, that was his whole MO. Um, I think that as you, uh, and it, so that was my first emotion. But what happens is, and this is another great takeaway for somebody that might be listening to you that's kind of on the beginning part of the journey that can relate to that. Here's the thing. Once you then start to find, once, I'll, I'll just put in the first person. Once I started to really find success, and let's say I, you know, I'm at 38 years old. I started my company when I was 32. I was broke as broke could be. I was $100,000 in debt, living paycheck to paycheck. Six years later, I literally made a million dollars in one year, my first time I ever did that, six years later. And during that time, you know, I was kind of starting to make some decent money. What happens when you do start to find that success that you, you put your happiness in, money, you then go, oh, boy, was I wrong. Money, that didn't make me happy. It feels great to go party on a Friday night and spend some money and act like a big shot, but boy, I still, it still didn't take that feeling of emptiness away in the morning. Exactly. Well, I think, don't you think that money is a bit like alcohol? You know, it just makes you more of who you are. It doesn't change who you are. So if you're kind of, you know, an ass when you're drunk, like you're probably a little bit of an ass when you're not drunk. Um, and I think it, it can't. Yeah, same way. sure. It can be. But I was always a good guy. I just was insecure and immature, even though I had a great heart and I did have a sense of wanting to help the world. And I just I, I was a good person, but it allowed me to have some outbursts that, that I, you know, am not proud of, but here's, here's the kind of evolution of it. As you start in a company by yourself, like the self solo entrepreneurs of the world, they usually have the most difficult time hiring people in the beginning because they're egomaniac control micromanaging people. 
Mm. And then what happens is, is if you actually do want to become a good leader, you start reading about it. Okay, well, what do I need to do? You start reading books on leadership and you start learning about leadership styles. You start reading about you, the dictator leadership in the beginning because you're immature, you're insecure, and you have no experience leading people. And you have to figure out how to let go of your ego. Mm -hmm. Then once you do that, you start to realize, holy mackerel, you mean by enabling people and building them up, I make more money working less hours? Okay, now this is kind of contradicted to what I think. And they're doing a better job than I can do because maybe they went to school for that skill set. And you start to become a participative leader and you start to get people's opinions on how to help you build your business. And then the ultimate, the true wealthy of the world that when I, you and I read interviews of the true wealthy, you turn into a servant leader and you realize that truly by serving people, you truly can create some wealth out there. But it takes kind of going through that evolution. There's so many entrepreneurs like myself that grew up purely putting their whole happiness and success in the column of financial that either A, they're going to do what I did and they're going to, you know, hopefully evolve as a person and, and for the better. Or like you said, it's just, you know, if they weren't that great of a person in the beginning, they're probably not going to be that great later. Yeah. I think it, I think it, it is, believe me, I've had my moments. I mean, when I was at Goldman on the trading floor in a very man's world of finance, I really thought I had to be a certain way. You know, the whole Brene Brown, you know, on vulnerability, I, I was not vulnerable at all. I thought I needed to be just as macho as the other guys. So I'm sure it was a nightmare many a time to engage with. Um, but, I, you know, I think what I've found, I, I, it's a mix of lucky and hard work, but um, you know, I was able to achieve at least a, you know, a decent level of success where I had financial freedom at a relatively young age. You know, I, I graduated early, just kind of luck there too, and started working early and always have saved like an absolute animal um, and thought about where I wanted to go instead of what I wanted to have immediately. Um, and so, but then I realized when you start getting all this money, in fact, it doesn't bring happiness, which is like, okay, Cody, great. I'll, I'll deal with that as soon as I have it. Um, so I get that people think that, but, but maybe like one thing I, I kind of want to dive into that I am so big on is why to even have a side business or to grow a business, why to have a platform, a social media, a blog. And I want to talk about community because one thing I see, like when I met, it was at NYU this past week speaking and, you know, it's 600 students in an international business course. And of course, if you're at NYU, you're at a certain level, but I also was at Miami Dade, right? Which is like a lot of these kids are first generation and their parents don't speak English. Sure. And the thing I found with both of them that I was amazed by is at that point in life, you have nobody telling you you can't do anything, right? You don't have compliance or rules or regulations. You um, have some relative freedom to create, but I'm amazed by how many people aren't out there creating a platform or a blog, except if it's taking pictures of food and travel and whatever. So I want to talk about why did you specifically start building this brand it was to give back it sounded like but then also why do you think that other people should if you do in fact think that hmm okay so why do I do it I wanted to create a lifestyle 
that would allow me to do my business anywhere in the world. So I wanted to create a digital company, one that I can create programs, courses, eBooks, videos, things like that, that would benefit others, that some would be you know, complimentary and some I would charge for, and I could build a company doing that. Because uh, I obviously still have goals financially as well. And so that's, in, in learning that business world, I've learned that from a content perspective, that your best source of data, if you will, and your, your greatest source of your audience is going to come from your email list. Those are the people that have purposely said, I want to be notified when you do something. And those are your people that intentionally want your knowledge. They want your experience. They want your content. And a blog is the end all be all of doing that. The great thing about a blog by putting it up on a website on your blog is, you know, some of the new platforms of technology allow it to be shared quite easily, whether it's on Facebook with your social media, my icons, your Pinterest account, um, YouTube, things like that. So the strategy that we use that I learned from another blogger is YouTube blog and Pinterest are forever Snapchat, Instagram for, you know, for what it is, uh, Twitter and even Facebook. Some, to some extent, those are quick news newspaper type things. So the, the content that you, the most valuable content is the content that's going to stay there forever that people can share at any time. And that's YouTube, your blog and Pinterest. Those are the, those are kind of the most valuable. Now, for me, it's a business too. You know, this is my philanthropy, but this is a, this is a business. So I want to be able to reach my audience and I want my audience to be able to reach me as easily as possible. So if they ever have a question, they want to have access to whatever content, the place they can always come is my website. And that's always going to be there. Um, even though at this moment, because of the limited resources I've had of doing this on my own, instead of having a team, you know, I was, I was, since I started on Instagram and I've got the biggest audience there, I, I fuel that fire the most because I, I, and I know it's important to be consistent as far as the, the quantity of content that I put out. But now I'm building a team and I know we're going to get to video and all that type of stuff, but now I've got like a copywriter, I've got a videographer, I've got a graphic designer, I've got a, a full-time executive assistant, uh, and I'm hiring an email marketing guru. And those are all the different facets that are needed in order to expand upon your brand and deliver great content out there. I didn't realize some of these individual bloggers, it's amazing how much time they will spend learning and, and teaching themselves and educating themselves on all the different platforms, what type of software to use. I didn't want to have to do all that myself. Unfortunately, because I have the finances from selling my other company, I can hire people to do those things, but it's a full-time business. If you really want to do something with it, as far as create a big audience and have a large following and, and then eventually make money from it, it's a full-time thing. Yeah. It's I couldn't agree more intently. I think, you know, if I have one thing that I've seen makes people successful in any business, whether it's blogging or otherwise, it's got to be um, persistence and an expectation that it's going to be harder than you anticipate. Um, even when I, you have the world's best idea, 
it's never quite as simple as it looks. Um, but if you kind of grind through it, I think interesting things happen. But for, for me, what I'm amazed by is how much you can get for free when you're starting off with a business. Like I've had interns since way before I ever should have had an intern for free from, you know, universities. And now I've, I can, you know, I pay. So now that those things change, but, um, you know, you can get free help. You can get free videographers and photographers from, from things like, um, you know, online model management, uh, companies who are looking for TFP trade for portfolio. So I think one of the things I'm amazed by is yes, you absolutely need a team, but you can actually do it. There's a barter economy that a lot of people don't think about. Absolutely. For sure. And there's, and you know, on that note, as far as interns, as you and I know, interns can be a bit of a challenge when you're a solopreneur <laughs> because an intern is coming to learn from you, not just to perform tasks. And I tell this to a lot of people who are solopreneurs that ask me, Hey, should I get an intern? I advise them not to. Because in the beginning, you really need to, if you're doing everything yourself and you're working, you know, countless hours, you're not sleeping enough, you're stressing yourself out with sleep deprivation, the last thing you'd want to do is add more to your plate in the form of having to teach somebody how to do something. Yeah. You're better suited hiring somebody that can jump right in and alleviate 25% of your workload. And so would you recommend a virtual assistant or a contractor or how do people do that? Do you think best? I personally perform better having a full-time employee that works, that, that works with me hand in hand. I like it. I know, I know a lot of people successfully use virtual assistants, but the few times that I've tried, the challenge is, is they're not, I want to be able to look across the desk or look across the hallway and say, Hey, can you get this done for me? I don't want to have to pick up the phone, schedule a time, send them an email. They'll get back to it when they can. You know, I want somebody at my beck and call during the whole work hour day. So even if you put in a simple add on Craigslist, there are so the first hire normally is going to be some sort of administrative type role because that person is going to alleviate just 25% of your administrative work that you're doing that you probably don't need to. And that'll free you up enough time to dedicate time on sales that will drive some revenue that will then let you go ahead and hire somebody, whether it's an additional salesperson or an operational type person, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, we could get into the whole business thing, but I think that, you know, that virtual assistants can be great. I know a lot of people use them. I just like to have a team. I, I, I love building a team, people that are in my environment. And that, what that's going to do for me is, which people that are kind of listening to this might, might relate to this. Like I said, the lifestyle that I want to create is one that I don't have to be chained to an office, but that doesn't mean I don't want an office. It means that I want a team here working 24 hours a day, if they will. And then I'll be off traveling the world and they say, Hey, we don't even need Sean here. We know how to run the company. The internet gives us plenty of opportunity to communicate with each other, but I don't have to be here 24 hours a day. And sure. so, that's the dream, no? Absolutely. Yeah, but it, you know what? I think, you know, I always say the dream is to work when you want, where you want, and on what you want. And people, you know, will say, well, Cody, that, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> but um, is that feasible? And actually, I think it is. You know, I, I'm different than you in that I've always built international 
and, and global teams because I run international businesses. And so I've had to get used to having virtual teams. I mean, I have, a, I have people right now in Chicago, Austin, Dallas, Chile, Mexico, and uh, New York. And, um, and some of them started off as my assistants in Indiana. Uh, I'm in Dallas. And so um, I think there are huge synergies by being in person. But I, I think the beautiful thing about business is um, if you have a process and a guide and a system, you can accomplish most things. And so that's kind of my way of doing it is I have them guide out everything and I have a system for everything. And now with Asana and Slack and all of these tools, um, you can have real time conversations, you know, via video on your phone in such an interesting way. Um, Absolutely. I, I want to dig into two. Okay. Let, let's talk about, so somebody's listening, they have no team, they have no following, uh, they're, you know, trying to become known in, in X space. I don't know, you know, maybe they love clothing or maybe they love finance. Um, where did they start when they have nothing? How'd you get to the hundreds of thousands of followers? I'm sure you get people asking you that all the time. Well, first I would say, don't quit your day job and make sure you always have money and revenue coming in. That's so the first true. thing. More. <laughs> yep. So a lot of people like, you know what? I just quit my job because I had this passion to start a company and six months later and I'm out of savings. What do I do now? And I'm like, uh, you should have called me six months ago. Uh, I would say st start, start somewhere. So the first thing that I advise everybody to do, just like the initial question we talked about earlier about, well, how do I achieve success? Well, the first thing you have to do is define it and then, and that requires def uh, devising a plan. So you have to know what you're working towards. So let's say, for instance, somebody says, well, I want to get 10,000 followers on Instagram as soon as possible. My first question then is, okay, well, why? What are you going to do with those 10,000 followers? And I'll tell you, hey, the first thing they say is, uh, I don't know. It just sounds good. I'm like, <laughs> well, okay, so you already, you already lost the, 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 the war before you even got started you got to determine why you're trying to build a following. And normally when you're building a following, your motivation can be that you want to start a business and you want to monetize it. Online, the way that it's done today, now it might be different a year or two from now because it's getting much more sophisticated and much more um, the quality of content is increasing at an exponential rate online because you got guys like me and, and even way better than me that are investing in full camera crews and videographers and photographers to make their content incredibly amazing. I think in the early days of the YouTubers that would just do quick little easy things and Vine, you know, you didn't need it. I think these days the social media space is gonna be kind of like the next TV channel. So the better the content, the quality is, is going to be a big part. So you got to determine what, what you're going to do. So just like in building any type of company, you treat this as a company and you go through the whole exercise of doing kind of a business plan. You know, who is your target audience? What does your brand represent? And then I would highly recommend because the social media space, they are so critical of brands these days. I would encourage anybody to go through at least a minimum of a branding 
an identity session with a true branding company, which is going to cost you maybe $5,000. Like literally it's going to cost you five grand and that's cheap, but at least you're going to get a, a legitimate real logo for your brand. They're going to help you with color schemes and fonts, which are vital in the, in the, in your brand online because you want consistency and you want your message and your look and feel to be consistent. So people know who you are. So when they see you, when you, when you see a Nike commercial, you see you immediately relate because everything fits perfectly in unison together. And I think a lot of people make a mistake by, let's just say my brand is Sean Thomas. I might use times new Roman as my name on Sean Thomas. And then I'll write in, in Roboto black condensed bold, and it just doesn't fit, but yeah. they don't know that because they're still new to it. So I think I would urge anybody that's going to go through this session, treat it like a business and go out there and invest in the business the same way you would in any business, which is why my first advice is don't quit your day job. Keep some revenue coming in and slowly keep investing in your company. And then someday, whether it's six months, a year, two years, three years, you're going for the long play here. When your revenue from your business kind of almost matches or exceeds what you make in your day job, then you can have the luxury of quitting and moving on, moving, moving over to doing it full time. I couldn't agree more. What about, you know, I, I, um, I love the brand name piece. It's something that I know I need to go back and, and focus on again because um, it's so easy to deviate from. And you do a really good job of, you know, the blues and whites and the consistent formatting and the text is sort of similar. Um, so I think that's a huge point. Um, you're right. You want people to see it and think, oh, you know, Sean's at it again. What does he have to say? I want to take a look at this. Um, what about... The one of the things that you said jumped jumped out at me, which is that um, when your revenue from your side business meets your actual paycheck, then you can start moving. And and what a lot of people will say to me when I tell them something like that, because I completely agree. I think one you you need to try it while you're full time employed because. I find that most people, the first thing that they do isn't the, isn't the thing that they should do. Meaning just like you, you started one company, it didn't really work. You know, you went to the music business, that was interesting, but it wasn't the right thing. So what I found is the first idea is typically not the super successful one. There has to be iterations. And I've yet to find very many entrepreneurs that their very first idea, at least in ideation phase, is, is the same exact thing five, 10 years later when their company's actually big. I think there's a lot of moving parts. But what they'll say to me is, Cody, how do you find the time? Or I don't have time for that, or I can't do that, or I'm already stretched. So I talk a lot about automation, outsourcing, time management. But what do you say to people when they say, yeah, sounds great, Sean, but I'm already working you know, 60 hours a week. How do I do this? What advice do you give them? I say every excuse that you can come up with, you need to turn that into a goal because every, anything is achievable. So if your excuse is you don't have more time, well then where are you wasting time? And where are your priorities? So here's a good example. So someone comes up to me and this, I'm, gonna st I'm stealing this story from one of my mentors. Someone comes up to me and says, hey, says, hey Sean, holy crap, I love your lifestyle. You got the Bentley, you got the Maserati, you got the penthouse condo, you got the business, you got, you got everything I want, man. I really want what you have. What do I need to do to get it? And I say, okay, well, you know, I work, you know, I work eight, 
18 hours a day when I was building my company. I literally was working 18 hours a day for at least the first five years. And, you know, so I, I start telling about what I did. And they said, well, you know, Sean, I, I want to be able, you know, I really want what you have, but, you know, I've got, I've got a daughter and I really want to be able to take her to school every single morning and make breakfast and spend an hour or two with her in the morning. And then I want to take her to school. That's really important to me. And I say, okay. And they say, yeah, and, you know, I really want to get off work at three o'clock because I want to pick her up from school during these impressionable young years. And, and, you know, I really want to do that. And then, you know, two hours a night, I want to be able to have dinner with my wife and, and my daughter and really have quality time and spend time. And so those things are really important to me. And I basically say, well, you know, it's all about what priorities you want. You know, if you want what I have, you can't have what you have, what you want. It just doesn't work that way. And so a lot of people have to just be given a little dose of self-awareness and say, and recognize eyes and respect that people that truly achieve, I don't feel like I ever sacrificed anything because I did what I wanted to do. And so I wouldn't consider that I didn't get married. I wouldn't consider that I didn't have children. I wouldn't consider, you know, that maybe I didn't have uh, as much time to go out on the weekends like my friends did. I don't, I don't really consider it sacrifice because I really just made it a choice and it was a priority in my life to, to accomplish some things. So if that person says, well, my choice is to spend time with the family, then that's fantastic. But those choices are going to yield you the type of results that you're going to get. They're not going to be the same type of result as somebody else that's dedicating, you know, 24 hours a day towards, towards a goal. And so that's, that's the conversation that I have with a lot of people. It's all about your priorities. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people want to be fluffy and they want to to tell you what they think you want to hear. And the truth of it is, is that um, people need mentors like you who are real. Because at the end of the day, you know, it sounds fantastic. Everything that, you know, you've created, the things that I'm created all sound great, but there is a, there's an integration that happen, has to happen, I think. Like I do a little weekly newsletter um, called The Monday Slay, and it has sort of like the five things that I think uh, can relate 10 times your business in varying subjects. And this week is work-life balance. So this your, is- Your newsletter is amazing. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm, I like didactic, actionable things, so I try to share that with other humans. But the, the quote that I have today is that work-life balance is-, is it's actually a fallacy and that anything that is worth having in life unbalances you in some way. And so I haven't figured this out yet, but my philosophy, Sean, is, is work-life integration. And I think Richard Branson talks about it too, about how it's all life. So, you know, for me, my husband's in the same business that I am. So like we business plan together. And actually my little brother works with one of my companies and my mom is the COO for another one of my companies. And so, and I try, and everybody on my team are people that I have known through the years and I consider them friends too. So I try to integrate the two because I'm not willing to not have a social life. Um, but it turns out I'm not interested really in only going out and chatting about movies or what's going on in the world. I want other humans that are on their climb too. So I haven't figured it out, but it seems like there's a way to integrate the two. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it, really, it really depends on what kind of the type of business that you've created for yourself is the type that really allows a little bit easier for life for lifestyle. You know, there's this term that's been around for a while, but it's really getting a lot of attention, which is the lifestyle entrepreneur. 
And with the advent of the internet and all of these great platforms that are being created, it's making it that much easier to be a lifestyle entrepreneur, meaning you pick something out of your lifestyle that you really enjoy and you turn that into a business. And that way it doesn't even feel like it's work because you love it, you're passionate about it, you're not trying to build the next AT&T or Apple, you, you, know, you just wanna create enough income and revenue that meets some goals financially, but it, it, it fits your lifestyle. And a lot of people ask me, you know, hey Sean, what's the best business to start today? And I'm like, well the best business for you to start is the one that you've got the skills and experience in that industry. Well, how do I figure that out? Well, look at your hobbies. What do you enjoy doing? There's your business right there. If you really enjoy skateboarding or you really enjoy, you know, whatever, there is your, your hobby. There's what you love. You know something about it. Now go turn that into a business. Yeah, it's so true. Well, especially because I think people hear that and think, well, that's okay. That, that sounds phenomenal for you to, to turn your passion into profits, but that's not feasible, right? You know, otherwise we'd all be street artists or something. Um, but what I found is actually quite the opposite. If you don't really like some aspect of it, every day will not be a picnic to be sure. But if you don't actually like the core of, of either the skills you're learning, the humans you're engaging with, or the business you're building, it's really hard to stay motivated and keep grinding like you have to. And yeah. so not only should you do that because it's more interesting and you'll have more fun, you should do it because I actually am not sure you can be very successful long, long term if you hate what you do every day. Exactly. Okay. And what's funny is, is people hate their jobs every day, but they go do it. Yeah, that is a, a conundrum that I'm still <laughs> pondering. <laughs> so when you say it's not, you know, hey, Sean, you know, that sounds great, but that's not feasible. Well, hold on. It really is. It really is feasible because there's people doing it. The question is, is will you have the dedication and to do it? Will you have the dedication and discipline that it takes to do it? Because you'll spend eight hours a day working at a job that you really don't like. So it's, it is feasible. It's, it's all a mindset. And some people are ready to transition, to change that, change that life. And every single day, there are people that transition into that mindset and go out and start businesses or start working on their business every single day. So people like myself continue to put out content that lets people know it's possible. And then when they finally go, you know, man, I've been watching you for six months. I'm finally emailing you to say, what do I need to do? And I say, well, let me help you. And there's always people, I mean, look at Tony Robbins, look at all the big motivational speakers of the world. They motivate the masses so that those few that are ready at their, at whatever juncture in life they're in, there are people converting every single day. It's an interesting way to think about it. I, I am constantly surprised by how few people spend their life in pursuit of what they think their purpose is here on earth. And, and, and I, kind of understand it. I think it's like you said, they don't actually take the time to self-reflect and figure out what it is they love to do and why they think that they love to do it and why they get up every morning out of bed and keep grinding. Um, and, but then I also think it's the fear, right? It's what if I fail? It's what will other people think? It's fear of rejection. Um, and, and I don't know if you've felt this ever, Sean, but um, one of my biggest surprises when I 
started doing the side business, which I don't do for, for profits. Um, you know, I have two other businesses that are profitable. And so this is just because I'm intrigued by it and we'll see how it evolves. Um, but one of the biggest surprises to me was this, this intense reaction that you get from some humans that I think comes from fear. Have you ever had somebody who reacts to something that you say as sort of a, you know, I don't believe you, or you're making it sound way too easy, or I've done all of this my whole life, and I just, I don't think you get it. And it's almost like this pushback because they think, well, if I couldn't have it, if I haven't achieved it yet, and you're saying that it is achievable, then it's something wrong with me, and I'm not willing to deal with that. Uh, well, let me answer that question very easily. I wrote a book called The Power of Naivety, Embracing the Unknown. And I also did a TEDx talk on it. There are two emotions that control most people, and that is fear and cynicism. And if you cannot find a way in your life to overcome fear and cynicism, you're destined for a really sad life, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, earlier in the, earlier you, you, you hit something on the, uh, hit the nail on the head and you said, you know, there's so much information out there that people just don't know who to believe. And, you know, I, and, and what have you. And, and I think that a lot of people get cynical to answer your question. They get cynical because they haven't got great at, at uh, deciding and making decisions on who to trust. So then they go out there and they blindly trust somebody not knowing what type of due diligence to do on that person. And they end up getting scammed or they end up getting hurt. And now everybody that's out there is a scam artist and everybody's there to, to take advantage, you know? So absolutely. I think that there's a healthy sense of cautiousness and due diligence that can be done in one's life. But cynicism is a very dangerous emotion and fear is, is equally, uh, equally damaging to the, your, your current state of mind as well as at how it affects your future. So I, I equate it to when you're younger and you're naive, you know, naive gets a negative connotation when reality naive is not negative or positive. It's, a, it's just a simple fact. And we're all naive to what the future holds because we haven't lived the future. So if you can kind of take yourself back to as a kid and say, I'm open to opportunity. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? I want to know and I'm going to take a chance and, and we're going to see. And, and so I think that's a great mindset to put yourself in while also having that healthy dose of, well, maybe, you know, once I figured out that there are some shady people, maybe I need to ask a little bit more questions before I just jump in. But you don't know to not put your hand on the stove when it's hot unless you did it or maybe you got a coach, you know, mom or dad that says, you don't want to do that. You don't have to go through that pain. Just trust me. You don't want to touch it. And in the same regard, that's why there's people like you and me and real mentors, real coaches, real advisors, real consultants that people can pay to guide them in business and in life and all those types of things, because some, some things you don't want to burn your hand, but other, <laughs> but other things, you know, it's like, look at the greatest inventors of the world. Oh, well, there's no way we're going to go to the moon. Well, somebody did it. There's no way you're going to do this. Somebody did it. So there's a healthy sense of sometimes saying, I know that somebody says something can't be done, but I'm still going to try and, it, and that's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think my philosophy has always been that I fail often, but I fail fast, hard, and forward. So the goal is, um, 
quick pivots after I make a mistake and choose the wrong person, or I start a business and it doesn't turn out the wrong, the, the quite right way. And I've tried to see those failures as a positive thing and to ask myself sort of three questions. One, anytime somebody's telling me some sort of advice, instead of having that immediate reaction of that's not possible, that doesn't apply to me, well, must be nice for them, but I couldn't make that work, to ask instead, how could I apply that to what I do? And I found if people just take that little mindset, say, how could I apply it? Maybe it's not exactly, but how could I? And then two, they assume that most things are possible. And then three, they ask themselves, okay, how could I apply it if I assume that it's possible and I assume it's not as hard as I think it's going to be? Like, how would I do it if I assumed it was easy? Because sometimes I think we overcomplicate the hell out of things. And we make, I see it in finance all the time, my main business. When we explain economic principles, I mean, dear, dear Lord, I'm in finance. I went to Georgetown for grad school. I, I don't even understand what they're talking about. And then you hear a really smart human and they're able to simplify it. And it's really not that complex of a subject, right? It's all just supply and demand at the end of the day. So um, I think if people could ask themselves those three questions, it changes a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a thing. I would tell people exactly that. And you could, I also say, don't worry about failing. You're going to. Like, you're going to. So you don't have to go try. You don't have to worry about failing. You're going to fail. Don't worry about it. And just kind of get in that mindset. It just is what it is. So many people think, well, if I do a little bit more planning or I ask a little bit more questions or I analyze this a little more, I can prevent it. Well, history's proven that nobody's going to go through life not failing. So just do it. Just yeah. get out there. Stop thinking so much. <laughs> so true. Perfect is a fallacy too. And I think that the beauty happens in the action. Um, what about this? So let's talk about blogging a little bit. So we talked about how you built to this community and how you, you did that by like putting yourself out there, being authentic, having this cohesive brand and just starting, not worrying too much about what it's going to be except having a vision for the overall business of it. Let's talk about the business of blogging real quick and I'm gonna kind of rapid fire at you. Um, the first one is, let's start with some rapid fire and then let's go into a deeper one. How about things like, I get asked these questions all the time. What are the best dates and times to post does that even matter and are there tools that you use to make it easier i don't know the answer to that question so my answer is i don't know what the best time to uh, post is um i use a wordpress site <laughs> what i do is I, I just work on building my list so what i do is i promote through all of my social media channels for people to get on my email list and then it just gets to people and they're going to check their email when they do. I haven't gotten so great at knowing my analytics yet of what time of day, what day is the best. I don't know that yet. Yeah, but I kind of love that response because I think people get really caught up in the how of things and not so much the what, which is really good content. So now on, social, on, on Instagram, that's different. On blog, it's different. On Instagram, I know that I get the best response from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock p.m., Eastern Standard Time because Instagram provides those analytics. So I know from my engagement perspective that those times get higher engagement. But for my blog, I have no idea. I don't even, I honestly don't even run any analytics yet of my blog at all. 
Interesting. And what about, how, how do you know what to write about next? And how do you write about something that people actually engage with? I look at the comments from people and then I just share what's kind of going on in my life. As an entrepreneur, I experience a ton of stuff anyways. And I also receive, you know, hundreds of questions every single day. So I just take a look at the questions that I receive and I create content based on the feel and the kind of the energy. It's going to sound really weird because I'm not real kind of spiritual like that, but there's an, I have seen by working on my Instagram and posting literally for the last year and a half, at least five to six times a day myself, you can definitely feel an energy in the air of what's going on by the way people comment and talk on social media. Like right now is a big volatile time because of the US elections and things. You can just feel it. So I just basically look at what people are writing and I go, you know, that's a good point right there. I need to address that and I'll create a post specifically around that. Yeah, it's sort of an innate thing, isn't it? I was trying to think about how I decide what to post about or who to have on a podcast. And at the end of the day, I think it's following your curiosity. I try to never put something out that I wouldn't actually be interested in, couldn't take something as a piece of homework away from to actually make an impact on my life or business, um, and that I wouldn't read or view fully. And if I ever create something like that, which I have, I've looked back and thought, gosh, that was not right, I get rid of it. Um, because at the end of the day, if you have had some success, I think you, you're usually relatively self-aware, hopefully. And you can say like, yeah, was I trying to, to show a facade on this or was I being real and authentic? Uh, which is kind of a buzzword, but I don't know a better way to put it than that. Yep. Well, in, 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 so on Instagram, Instagram world, there's two kinds of accounts. Well, maybe there's, there's more, but there's my type of account for Ask a Millionaire, which is a brand in itself. And Ask a Millionaire, like Sean Thomas, me, I'm not Ask a Millionaire. Ask a Millionaire is its own entity, its own company, its own brand in its own voice. And it is, let's talk about money. Let's talk about how to achieve success from a millionaire's perspective. Now I have my own sense of humor and my own type of stuff that I would, you know, say, Hey, this is my authentic voice of me and people, but it would not relate to that audience. So that's another thing I tell people to keep in mind is, is your consistency in, in your voice in your, of your brand is really important, both in your blog now then there's a, well, then there's a personal one. Like yours is more of a personal blog. It's Cody sharing her thoughts, her tips and her tricks and strategies on how to do this, this, and this. And so the people are all relating to you as an individual brand and person. Whereas ask a millionaire, some people don't even know who I am. Yeah, that's interesting. Why did you choose to separate the two? Well, because Sean Thomas is not as sexy sounding as Ask a Millionaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think it is, but you know, people relate more to Ask a Millionaire. But another thing is, is, it, is I wanted to appeal to that millionaire mentor audience out there. Now I did put, I, you know, I do put that this account is run by, you know, and I put my personal, you know, life, life account on Instagram and I put videos out there and I say, Hey, this is Sean Thomas, founder of Ask a Millionaire. But as a business person, I also realized that this might be something that has value in itself. Someday it can be sold. So I don't want it to be attached to Sean Thomas because who's going to buy the Sean Thomas company. 
you know, who's going to buy the Tony Robbins company? Who's going to buy the Bob Proctor company? Who's going to buy an individual brand company? It's very difficult to sell your brand when it's all around you as the person. So, so I might run this thing for five, 10, 15, 20 years into my ripe old age. And then at some point I say, you know what? I can no, I can no longer be the CEO of this company. There's some young Sean that just sold their company. that's looking to get into social media and they've got capital and they can invest in this company and just take over the ask a millionaire brand. And people just still associate with ask a millionaire, not Sean Thomas. You know, when you, when you, when, you know, it's like Apple, you know, Steve Jobs is associated with Apple, but it's still moved on. It's still a company and it's got a new CEO and people still do business with it. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see where you're coming from there. What about the personal branding thing? Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you have Ask a Millionaire, which is the brand that you're growing. If you're not associated with your brand, do you think it's important how you're viewed or you as an expert or getting your name out there? Or for you, it's all about the brand Ask a Millionaire? Well, they kind of go, right now, they kind of go a little hand in hand, which, which is interesting. You just brought that back up because it goes back to who you can trust out there and it's important. I, I read a lot and have read and I'm continuing to read a lot about this term called social proof. Social proof is, is in my mind, very important. And what that is, is basically providing proof online of why you're qualified to speak on a certain thing. So when I record videos, I'm blatantly honest that, hey, I am a millionaire. I did build a company. Here is where you can go Google me. Here's where you can check me out so that you know you're dealing with a real person with real business, business achievements, and here's, there's your social proof. And I try to urge, urge my followers that if you can't find anything else, anything out about the person that's claiming to be able to do this or a guru, then in my opinion, you don't want to get advice from that person. Because in this day and age, you want to surround yourself around people that have nothing to hide. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I can at least say, you can Google me and, and find out that I did create this company. You can Google that I did sell this company to a private equity group December 13, 2013. You can, you can, you can find as much as you want. I think there's a, a sense of, of um, obligation these days for legitimate people to legitimately put out a certain amount of information. And it's difficult, Cody, because as a, as a person, I'm actually very private. I don't like people knowing too much about what I'm doing, but this is just par for the course. If I'm going to put out there to the world that I am a successful business person and I want to mentor and I want to get paid to teach people, then I have a sense of obligation to give them a certain amount of information about my lifestyle so that they can, they can trust me. I couldn't agree further. You know, for me in particular, I think my, my why in doing this came out because I wish that somebody had told me the things that I have learned from creating this brand of mine and being able to talk with humans like you. I wish that there was a class on how to find who you are as a human and how to find the unique skills that you have and why you were placed on this earth to do X and Y and Z. And, and sadly, I just don't think that we have that in life. So, you know, when I put my name out there in my brand, I try to be pretty honest on the fact that I am very flawed 
I've made tons of mistakes. I didn't come from money or a trust fund. And, you know, I went, I was a public school kid. Um, when I started my business in Latin America, I didn't even really speak great Spanish. And my last name is Sanchez. Like how embarrassing. Um, but what I do know is that we as humans, I think, can do much more than we think we're capable of, but we need people who have actually created and grown and done the hard things to help us to help explain to us how to do the hard things. Um, so I know when I put my brand out there and my face on it, it's because I wish somebody else had a face that I could relate to as a young woman starting out in business and told me like, don't do things because they're expected of you. Don't just t chase the money. Don't just, you know, I don't know, focus on this career because of X, Y, and Z expectations from your family, friends, et cetera. Like dig a little bit deeper and have a little bit more belief in yourself and you'll, you'll be amazed what actually happens. Well, yeah, I, I could not agree more. And you probably did a lot of the things that my, that I did and that a lot of successful people do all of those, those things that you said aren't out there. They're just not out there in one easy to follow course, if you will. But if you're going to go down that path of determining who you are, what's your why, all that type of stuff, there are about what six great personality tests that you can take and then study so you understand your personality and everybody else's personality. There are, I mean, there are so many things that we all do on the path as successful people to learn who we are, what our style is, what our communication method is, what things work, what things don't. I don't even, gosh, that would be a great program to develop for sure of how, of how to do that. But gosh, we, it's a little pretty long life. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun too. You know, it's like every day I kind of, not every day, but I always find when I learn something new about myself, I'm like, you know what? I knew that, but maybe sometimes it's just about accepting it. <laughs> you say, oh, you know, this oh, yeah. just is who I am. Screw it. All right. I'm finally accepting it. I'm, I'm, it's, uh, it is. It is. It is. So, yeah, you got to accept you're crazy. Well, I mean, I know too, <laughs> what I like about you is you're pretty honest about the things that, uh, that you've struggled with or that you've worked through. Um, and you don't pretend to be this perfect human who's got it all figured out because I think perfect is a fallacy. But um, what I am sort of amazed by is that in, in life in general, um, I think we don't go to experts enough like you. We try to figure it out ourselves. Um, you know, we go to our, our, our friends are comprised of the people who are friends with our kids, let's say, like, you know, parents of the of our kids' friends, or maybe they're people that we went to college with, or maybe they're people that we worked next to. We don't actively seek out interesting humans who have built lives that we want to mimic and say, like, how'd, how'd you do that? And Ask a Millionaire is really kind of the solution to that. And even though you have hundreds of thousands of people following you, there are billions of people in the world. And so that's still a very small segment that actively goes out and asks these questions and then takes the advice and does them is probably even a smaller segment of the population. Yeah, people will go out and spend $20 on a book. They'll go to the movie for entertainment, but you tell them to go buy 30 minutes of time with a successful business person for $200 and it's like you just you know, committed an evil sin. It's yep. crazy the number of people that will constantly reach out to me and I see them reach out to the other social media influencers like myself that are out there all day long, but they will not pay $150, $250 for a half hour of my time to get one-on-one -on -one advice on their situation. 
it's like you're, it's like you're asking them to give up their left leg. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. though even though all of us say you need to have a business coach, you have, you need a lifestyle coach, you need an, a business advisor, you need a consultant. Even though we all have we have them as individuals, and we tell them you need to have this, they will not go do it. It is like one percent of one percent of one percent that will actually go to my website at seanthomas.com and book, book 30 minutes with me for $250. But they'll bend my ear trying to ask me questions all day long. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. I think that's why the, the rich keep getting richer, right? I've always found that on, you know, on my website, um, I give away pretty much really specific templates, tools, like exactly what I've done to create followings, to build a website in 24 hours, to use my strategic network, how I sell, all these things. And it's like steps one through 10, here it is. Um, and what I've found is fascinating is the people who engage the most with it and who leverage it the most are the people who need it the least, which, yeah. you know, makes sense. Like t Tony Robbins, who is he life coaching? Like Bill Clinton. Obama's, Serena Williams, Bill Gates. Do they really need Tony Robbins the most? Probably not. But through that, you get incrementally uh, wealthier and wealthier, no? Exactly. So let's Absolutely. close out with one last thing. We didn't get into videos as much, but let's start with this question that will address all three. So you've got social media, you've got the blog and the website, and you've got videos, let's say, for engagement. You have also seen trends for the last year and a half um, across, let's say, the, the um, internet in general. Where do you see the most growth from and where are you putting the biggest focus of your time on? Is it written blogs? Is it videos? Is it social media? Well, social media would encapsulate all of it, but video right now is the easiest uh, for people to relate to it's quicker like I, most people would rather watch a 15 20 second video than read a three paragraph blog it's quicker it's easier it's fast we can talk faster and we can get the message through and we can be more creative in video than text ever can so I have a big emphasis on video like I have literally invested probably $15,000 in video equipment microphones lab mics you know, stabilizers, and I'm, I have a, a full-time uh, salaried video person. That's how important I think video is in the future. And I don't think, even though I go to these, these little conferences on online business building and social media, and they say, all you need is an iPhone or a great smartphone with a camera and all that, hey, I just, I just don't agree. I personally feel that the, 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 the quality of the content, the sound quality, the granularity, the different cinematogra cinematography around the type of video content that you can put together is going to surpass those do-it-yourself projects that people are doing. Interesting. And so when you create video, what do you think is the next format? Is it 10-minute long video, 30-minute long video, 60-second video? Where do you see the format going? I think your audience is going gonna, is gonna to tell you what they like the most, and you're going to start to analyze you know, what, you know, what videos get the most response over time. You know, it's so new that even the, even the, the guys and girls that are at the top of the game right now, they're still testing it out and seeing what works. You know, I don't think that there's any proven method across any type of business 
that's going to be perfect for everybody. So the most important thing that I can do and anybody can do is to learn what your audience wants from you. And my guess is that it's probably a combination of everything because there are some videos that I'll do that are 20 minutes that get, that get insane amount of views and comments. And then there's some that I'll do that are 30 seconds that will get, you know, incredible. So it really depends on the topic. It depends on the cinematography, the relatability of it. it, it I think it's all just fascinating right now. Yeah, it certainly feels like it's at an inflection point. I think people got really excited about YouTube and then it kind of trailed off and now it feels like something's coming back. And you can even see with deals like AOL Time Warner and distribution channels, um, you know, coming together and content increasingly being king and content increasingly being a two-way street, not a cul-de-sac where we get information pushed at us. I, I think there's sort of an interesting inflection point to get into this this business. And I, but I think you're right. I think it's going to professionalize and professionalize and professionalize. Absolutely. And I agree. I, I feel the same way about YouTube. It, um, I think everybody got fascinated and enthralled by Facebook video, Snapchat, Instagram, or what have you. And then people are going back and realizing that, gosh, why am I wasting all this time putting up this amazing content on Snapchat when it's gone tomorrow? I think that the feeling is, is that people are people that are using it from using Snapchat in a business perspective, from a branding perspective, are just using it for behind the scenes to create kind of a deeper relationship with somebody that wants to see kind of the, oh, his hair's messed up today. That's cool. I, I really want to get to know the real Sean, not just, you know, the, the fabricated, you know, professional videos and stuff. I think Snapchat gives you that kind of behind the scenes. At least that's how it feels. And people are going back to YouTube because it's a video library. Your YouTube channel is a library that's there infinitely that you can make money on as, a, as the programmer and your audience can go revisit it at any time and watch it at their own discretion. And it's easier to get to than Facebook videos. So I feel sure, the same which way. are sort of hidden. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, okay. So today we've kind of, we've gone over the business of blogging, some technicalities, but also um, broad reaching how to think about it, how to build a brand, how to kind of find what fuels you. Um, and then this new evolution of, of online video creation. Um, let's end with like two quick questions. So first it, that I always ask because I'm an avid reader and I just think there's nothing that can change the way that you think like immersing yourself in somebody else's thought process, like a book. So do you have a book that's kind of become your Bible that you go back to again? Yeah. Yep. The Alchemist. Really? That's a great one. And why? Because I'm, it just is a, the type of book that a lot of people like myself relate to. And I mean, it's obviously one of the most sold books and most translated books in the history of books. It just is all about a dream. Dreaming and, and then believing that anything is possible. Some, sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that anything really is possible and you don't have to conform to what society says you need to be. And I think more people just need that affirmation from time to time that you can think for yourself. We have pressures coming from parents, mothers, fathers, coaches you know, teachers, managers, we got all these impressions coming to us telling us how we should live our life. And at the end of the day, it's nice to read something that says, you know, you can choose what you want and anything's possible. I love that book. 
Um, plus the prose is so beautiful. So I think it kind of takes you away. Um, and it's a short read. I'm a very, you know, I'm, I, I got the attention of, of, a, of a cow sometimes, I, I guess. I don't even know if that's the right analogy, but you know, the fact that I can read that book in an hour and a half, that, yeah. that is something too. If I pick up a big book, you know, that like the 48 law power, you know, I'm gonna be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I have the attention span of a goldfish. But my goldfish, favorite there we go. Atlas Shrugged, and that thing is a tome. It is a serious uh, paperweight. But um, but I like the beauty and focusing on what you love. Um, okay, so last last question for you. What do you want to leave the listeners with today? So if they're going to find you at you know askamillionaire.com or your handle askamillionaire across these social media waves, um, they'll see what you want to see them to have them see consistently. But if you had to leave them with one sort of piece of advice or closing remark, what would it be, Sean? Go watch my TEDx talk. Um, like I said, everybody at some point or another deals with fear or cynicism because of something that is controlling us. And I did a TEDx talk to just talk about the relatability of how I wasn't blessed with a golden spoon and I utilize that mindset of, I, do, I don't know what my future is going to hold. I'm just going to go do it. And I'm not going to let fear or cynicism prevent me from doing it. And so go watch my TEDx talk. I've got a little ebook around it too. It's probably floating around there somewhere on Amazon. But I think that if, if anything, if I can help people understand how to break through being controlled by fear or cynicism, man, that would be a great day. I absolutely love it. Well, I will make sure to link that in the show notes as well as the other resources we talked about today, uh, the favorite book, the site that he hosts his website on, and some of my favorite quotes. So Sean, thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Cody. Thanks for everything you do. 